Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. You may be seated. The verses I just read to you are verses that God made to Moses as a promise to tell them when he's getting ready to release them from Egypt. And it's a part of, even today, their Passover ritual of the Seder there. But today, I, I think our communion is going to be a little different. You might see some things a little differently, experience it a little differently today. I would suggest to you that it won't be the same experience as before, but it will be a little better. A little more understanding and a little deeper in enrichment and more context than you might have previously heard about. We're going to take the original context on that final night of Jesus' life and talk about it. It's often missed. We tell the story, but we miss what's going on in the explanation of communion. And what's really neat as we unfold over the next couple of weeks the events that had to occur for this to even happen. And I don't mean like the events throughout history, but on that particular day, certain events had to happen. And they had to happen in a way that they could happen because at this point, if you remember, Jesus is under high scrutiny. They want to arrest Him. And they're trying to find Him and they can't locate Him. So everywhere He goes, He has to go secretly. And uh, that's... One of the reasons we read in John's Gospel, chapter 7, he tells his brothers, you go, I'm not going to that feast. But later he goes secretly by himself. Because he, they want him dead. You know the story. Uh, they finally crucify him because of that anger and uh, his uh, message. The event that happens on his night in the upper room is steeped in their tradition. It's steeped in history and in Jewish symbolism. Jesus takes all those three aspects of it and transforms each aspect into something new for us as believers in Him. Into something different, yet founded on the same thing. What He does is actually complete the story that night that has been unfolding for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. You and I are recipients of the end of the story. We don't often recognize the beginning or the middle parts because we're not there. We live in the current, what's happened at the end. So we're going to go backward to go forward to get back to what communion is all about. And from the way... The original Passover to the way it was celebrated at Jesus' day is all connected to us. 
Let's go back now to Egypt. Exodus. The bondage of the Israelites is at its peak. Moses comes, asks Pharaoh to let them go yonder and worship for a few days, and he refuses. God begins to set a series of plagues. Moses says to Pharaoh what's going to happen, and they do, and Moses hears Pharaoh say, I will not let you go. Each time his heart gets hardened so bad that he increases the burdens on the Israelites, take away their straw for them to make the bricks. So their burdens are getting worse, and now they are even driven harder to the same production with less materials provided. So instead of being better, their work is increasingly difficult. And Moses, lovely Moses, who said that God wanted to set them free, has made their life worse. Isn't it true that sometimes we hear a great promise of God and things go haywire right after? God, I thought you promised this deliverance, this thing you're going to do, and everything's gone sideways. It's true. He promised deliverance from Pharaoh by God. And God has made four specific promises, which I read to you from Exodus, about their deliverance. And to this point, through nine plagues, none have been filled. None have come to pass. With all the things that have happened, the locusts, the frogs, all that, they all affect the entire area. Not just the Egyptians, even the Israelites are struggling because of these plagues. They complain. <laughs> They're good at that. We learn this through their history. But Moses tells them before the 10th plague, and he goes to tell Pharaoh about it to get ready. Because this night, we are going to be set free. So get ready. And he uh, tells them how to prepare for this last plague. It's going to be the plague that finally sets them free. And he says they will never be in bondage to Egypt again. That this is it. The one they've been waiting for. So they listen to his instructions and they go home to prepare for that very first Passover. It will be a night of weeping and wailing for the Egyptians. But it will be a night of freedom for the Israelites. Lambs are soon killed and cooked. Unleavened bread made. The blood from the lamb is spread on doorposts and lentils. Household goods are packed in haste. Families gather inside to wait for the plague to arrive. They eat the lamb and the bread. They consume it all. Loud screams begin to be heard from Egyptian homes. The lamb's blood keeps their firstborn alive, but not the Egyptians. Pharaoh summons Moses and he tells him to take his people and go. Just as he said. The Israelites load their belongings and depart. As they go, the Egyptians hand over their precious belongings. They raid the Egyptians who are deep in grief. We don't want you anymore. Take it. It doesn't matter to us anymore. Type grief. They're in too much grief to care. God is finally coming through on His promise of deliverance. It takes ten plagues, but it worked. 
They leave Egypt permanently and they vow to remember this Passover every year with a similar type meal. Let's fast forward to the time of Jesus. They're still celebrating Passover every year. And during the time of Christ, we now learn in Judea, the temple is the center of Jewish life. Sacrifices occur there on a regular basis. The temple leaders there wield great power. They dictate most of the Jewish lifestyle customs. Each year, they require and demand that a pilgrimage be made to Jerusalem for Passover. It is the only place allowed to celebrate it. It's the only proper place to commemorate it. <laughs> Jesus' brothers have gone to the city. Jesus follows later. This particular Passover that we're talking about when He institutes Holy Communion will be the one Passover that changes everything. He's been waiting for this particular Passover his entire life. He sends disciples ahead to make preparations for them in Jerusalem before he arrives. When he arrives in the upper room with the rest of the disciples, all things are prepared and made ready for Passover. The disciples have all joined him. He now washes their feet. The meal is about to commence. Four cups, similar to these, but not like these, are set in place and wine is poured in to each of those four cups. Each cup serves a purpose. Just as there are reasons are there for Passover and that night. The four cups of Passover are an integral part of that celebration or that meal. They stand for each of the four promises made in Gen excuse me, Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Those promises, as we read, are, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and I will be your God and you will be my people. Those are the four promises. Before the meal starts, candles are lit. There's an empty seat at the table. Jesus breaks bread before the meal commences and dips it in some sop and feeds Judas this piece of bread. He tells him to go. Do what you need to do. Judas leaves and the disciples don't question Jesus as to why he's allowing Jesus to miss the required Passover meal. They think he has some business Jesus needs him to do with the treasury. Judas leaves and they prepare for the meal. They take the first cup, Jesus does, and he looks and says, as you know, this is the cup of sanctification representing the first promise of God, the I wills that He has made, that I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. This cup represents holiness and the cleansing we need to be able to receive from the Lord, for we cannot worship God in a strange land with strange gods. 
To be sanctified by God means we're cleansed, forgiven, and made holy. Sanctification allows us to enter into God's grace for the year. They believed it was one year at a time. To answer our call without the enemy retaining a legal right to stop us, to be the light that God requires us to be, we drink of this cup. And he passes the cup, and they all take a drink. The meal begins. The tradition and the questions start, and they begin to eat of the different things of the Passover meal. In 70 AD, when the temple was destroyed, one part of the meal changed. Because there was no longer sacrifices, they replaced the lamb's meat with a lamb shank, a bone. Because sacrifices weren't allowed, that was representative. But until that time and during Jesus, there was actually lamb. And they had to consume the entire lamb as part of that meal. Could not leave any of it left over. They come during the meal to the second cup. And Jesus takes the second cup. And He says, this is the cup of judgment. The second promise in Exodus. I will rescue you from their bondage. At this time, the ten plagues are recited. And each person takes ten drops and places it on their plate from that cup to represent the ten plagues. Remembering what God did to deliver them and what it cost their deliverance price. The Passover meal, the lamb, and all the food are served. During the meal, there are different things that happen. Now, what you don't know is they have unleavened bread. And we know this, this is the story, but we don't know what it's like. Well, today I want to share with you a little bit more about that. Because before the meal is over, they have their unleavened bread commonly. But they each also have their own piece. What you may not know about uh, the way they served meals then, at the beginning of the meal, nobody ate. Not until the host, which was Jesus, said they could. So they took bread and put it, the round pieces of bread, like almost like pita, but unleavened, and stacked it on a plate. And when it was time for the meal, they brought that plate of bread to Jesus, and He would take that bread and tear off pieces of it and pass it around. So that was what they used as their utensils. Did you know that? They had to. Each person had a piece of the round bread, and they'd tear off a piece and eat with it. And there's a reason why. Because Scripture says your own saliva cannot be used for anything. It'll make you unclean. So if they used a spoon and had saliva on it, it became racially unclean. So they would take a piece of bread as a utensil and eat it. So the next piece was clean. So that's how they ate their meal. Without the bread, there's no meal. When He says, I am the bread of life, they understand without Me, you don't get to eat. They understood that. And so He has passed this softer bread out that they can eat their meal with. But also during the meal, 
Near the end of the meal, he takes a piece of the matzah, or the harder piece of bread, and it's just like this one. It may be round, not perfectly formed, but it looks a lot like this. This is matzah, modern-day matzah. It's unleavened bread. It's like a cracker. He says, when he picks up the matzah, this is my body, broken for you. Oh, yeah, you see me tear a regular piece of bread, it just falls nice and half pretty. It crumbles. It's really broken like a cracker. When they see that, they think, that's decimated. I've made a mess out of it. That's how bad it is up here. But the reason that that's crucial is when, when that cracking, breaking sound occurs, now you see what they saw. And he said, now, this is my bread, and eat this. And he takes the pieces and passes them around with this broken piece of unleavened bread. And says, eat this, and remember what I'm doing tonight. Don't forget what I'm doing. Because I'm establishing something. After that, immediately the meal has ended. And Jesus takes a third cup. There's four. And this, is, he says, is the cup of redemption. It comes from Exodus where it says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. <clears throat> this represents the blood of the Passover lamb. That they remember the lamb through the third cup. And it also reminds us of the blood in the Lord's Supper. This is the cup that he held at the Passover table prior to his death and resurrection when he said, this is my blood, a cup of a new covenant for the forgiveness of sin poured out for you and for many and drink as often as you will remembering what I've done for you. And they pass the cup and they all partake. Now they understand that this is the cup of redemption. It represents the Lamb's blood from Passover, but He's saying it now represents His blood. Yet the church takes this cup and they've ran with it. They've taken it to places it doesn't need to go. In many ways, away from where Jesus even intended it. Even from what it really represents. And I want to explain to you what I mean. It's become somber. It's become like this really sad thing about His crucifixion and death rather than the joyous representation of redemption and new life in Christ. It's things made brand new in Christ. We've made it less of a celebration, more like a communion of sadness and a dirge, at best tinged with hope that maybe I'm a part of His life. But our redemption comes through Jesus' sacrifice. And now He sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He is alive. This cup is meant to remind us of the redemption that only God can give, not by mourning His death, but because He lives. That's a celebration of redemption. Not, oh, He's tragically died, but He's gloriously alive. That this is the overcoming of sin and death. He wasn't canceling Passover. He was embracing it. He empowered the cup of redemption as only the Messiah could. By His soon coming death on the cross and resurrection from the grave.
Later, not much later, the fourth cup. This is the cup of praise, he says. And he quotes Exodus again. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. It's the same cup that Jesus talks about in Matthew where He says, I say to you, I will never drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. It is the last Passover cup that the Jewish people look toward their acceptance into the kingdom of the Father. Jesus gave praise to God before His suffering. Of all the cups of the Passover, this was the only one Jesus did not drink with them. It was prior to His death and resurrection. It's therefore a cup of many believers who celebrate Passover refuse to drink. They leave it on the table full because they believe this fourth cup is the one Jesus gives us in His new kingdom. And there's a reason why. It's the cup we receive from Him as we enter into heaven. He'll hand us our wedding cup, a kiddish cup, and say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's important to understand that in a Jewish wedding, the groom extends this, this cup to the bride. And she drinks from it as a sign of her acceptance of the covenant being offered. Her acceptance of the cup seals the marriage. So that's why many will leave that cup unemptied at Passover. Learning about it, but not partaking, waiting for Jesus, the groom. But they praise God and celebrate with joy all that He's done and is doing and all that we will one day know of Him. And that's what that cup's for. After that, they sing a hymn, as is the tradition. But it says, then they go out to the Mount of Olives where Jesus begins to pray in the garden. But before He gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, He takes that walk from the upper room in Jerusalem out to the Mount of Olives. It's not a long walk, but it's long enough. It's the last walk He will ever take with His disciples. But it is the first walk that He takes with Him as Messiah announced clearly. All who partake in Holy Communion from that day on know that it's intermingled with Passover and completed the work God set to do back in Egypt. We are all freed from bondage to be God's people who unite with Christ when we understand and partake in this holy meal that way, knowing what it means. This morning I invite you to partake in this meal with Him now knowing what it is.